Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Nakisha Glover. Again, how are you? Doing good. How are you? I'm good. And last time before we stopped, we went over and I was like, all right, I got to stop this conversation. I was like, but I can't stop this conversation. <laughs> and I felt the same way. <laughs> I hope we get to pick up where we left off. I was asking you about what the environment meant to you. And one of my takeaways was that there was one time when I said, you're talking about the experience that other people have. And it, it, it rang true. You were talking about lots of things that I think a lot of people can identify with. Partly, it's like the stuff off, offshore from North Carolina is distant. Maybe that's not so close to home. And the amount of pollution that comes into our neighborhoods, and of course, there are many neighborhoods that are getting more pollution than others. But I was also very curious about your own. And I, one of my takeaways was, two, one, there are some voices that are just drastically not heard. And until they're heard, I know one of my main things in teaching leadership is that people only speak if they want to be understood. And if they feel misunderstood or not listened to, all of us will keep talking until either we may stop if we give up and think there's absolutely no point anymore. And then we start often getting angry or disengaged. Or we want to say, I just want to, just to feel understood is a major deal. Another thing was, if I dare say, I hope I'm not too personal here, but I felt like your, either your, connect, your direct connection was either you weren't in touch with it or you, you weren't ready to speak about it. And I'm not sure if I'm reading or misreading. That was my takeaway. Does that ring true? I'll start with the need to be heard. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because I feel that has come up in my life in many instances. I think there may be many people that may have grown up where the saying was children are to be seen and not heard. And as you get older, you see how that really doesn't serve you in your adulthood. It doesn't really serve you in your childhood either. So being able to have outlets to be heard and be able to give your voice, I think is really important. And I think for me, I have had like my journey I've had to learn how to use my voice and to create boundaries where maybe there weren't boundaries that existed or just many ways that I see that it, it manifests in my life. So just many of the things that we're taught as children don't always um, serve us as adults. And what are the things that we need to unlearn so that we can be able to, to have a better experience and to be able to have a better be able to engage in community in a better way. And the the second point that you make about not being in touch with my direct connection, I don't know. I think I'm in touch with it. I think I'm getting the language to take what's in my head and be able to communicate what that direct connection is. And like, I'm really clear when I say that some of the things that resonate with me when I think about my commitment to environmental justice and climate justice, I'm clear that communities should own their own solutions. And I think reflecting on that question, I say that as a route, I guess you could say a, a rallying cry or organizing tool that others can get behind or engage with. 
But then I think you give me the opportunity to look at myself and be able to, how am I owning my own solutions in a way that relates to the work that I do? And the work that I do is anchored in community, it's anchored in environmental justice. And then I would say another one that comes up to the top for me is tech advocacy. And owning my own solutions, I think, also looks like how do we use our gifts and our strengths? We're not being asked to to take up the mantle of environmental justice. I don't think it means that we all got to put on some magical superhero cape or anything and become something different than something extremely different than what we are. Go out and get a a PhD or a master's in the environmental sciences to be able to show up for our community. I think it's a matter of what are the gifts and talents and strengths that we all inherently have and how do we use them because you're needed. So I think for me, I find myself to be someone who's a connector and someone who likes amplifying the good um, is the way that I like to say it. I like to amplify good stuff. And so everything that I do and I'm connected to, I can see the goodness in it and the ability that it has to create the future that I want to live in, the future that I want my child to live in, and my nieces. I think, yeah, those are the things that come to mind when you speak on that for me. There's a few parallel topics going on right now. I'm going to stick, I'm going to go to the first one of the being heard, feeling understood. So the videos that I watched of the workshops that you, you did and the groups that you were involved with did, and one of the big messages was we will be heard. We aren't heard. And I wonder, is there, I don't, across the environmental, many environmental problems, I don't hear a whole lot of people in positions of authority, be it politics or uh, business, I don't hear many people saying, demonstrating that they really do understand. Some, there's a lot of lip service. Even among the lip service, there's some action, but some, I might consider the action counterproductive or misguided, a lot of lip service, but there's some lip service. Are for the communities that we're speaking in the videos, is there a voice back that shows understanding, that shows listening, or is there nothing? Is, it, is there any sense of feeling understood? Is there any sense of someone responding? And if so, are there people to look out for? Or are there people not? Is it being heard? Are people showing that it's being heard? People in authority, people who can act? I would say that it's not enough. I think there's room to grow in that area. And then there's some communities where it flat out is just not being heard at all. The community here is saying that they want to have affordable housing. I'm in Charlotte. Our community wants affordable housing. And yet our leadership is doing everything but addressing the need for affordable housing with the decisions that are being made in our city council and county commission 
county commissioner meetings. We're at a average home price of, I think, $415,000 I saw recently, which is astronomical. We're talking about nearly half a million dollars to get into home ownership in Charlotte. And the community is saying that we need we we need a place to stay. And what winds up happening is the needs of the community for affordable housing are not being heard or responded to in the same way that the needs of big corporations or entities like the NFL or us getting a soccer team here in Charlotte. Those needs are being met and heard before the needs of the community as a whole. So I think that's it right there, is that it's not a matter of being heard, it's who is being heard and responded to. And in the city in which I live, it does seem to far outweigh the larger community being heard in the name of the interests of corporate entities. Is there even, okay, so they're not addressing it. Is there even a message? Is there anyone even saying, we hear the problem, we'd like to, even if we're not going to act on it, we at least acknowledge it? Is there that? I think in some ways there is, that there's acknowledgement, but then like where does acknowledgement come to actually putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak? We have a number of, task force and committees that are happening across North Carolina and in Charlotte in particular. But when, and I'm trying to think of a particular example, but it happens where the committee that could be formed around or a task force that could be formed around environmental justice, naming the issues that are occurring in North Carolina, but yet the entities of toxic industries are being permitted to continue to pollute in our state. That's an example of like, it's being heard in the name of, we gave you this task force, so we gave you this committee, but then like the committee doesn't necessarily have any legal power or any sort of authorization to stop the detrimental factors that are are happening to communities. So to your point about lip service, like lip service is definitely happening. But I think once once there is an investment in skilling up the community, I think that's where I like I, I mentioned being a connector, but I also like to think of like the work that I want to exist in is from a place of communities being skilled up to be able to advocate for themselves and to be able to recognize that although this industry may be coming in with the promise of jobs and and there are examples that happen in our area, but the jobs don't go and benefit, they don't go to the community that exists there. It doesn't benefit the community that exists there. Many of these jobs become so highly skilled that they are bringing in people from that are external to the community. And it doesn't give the community an opportunity to be skilled up in that way. So I think to your point is, yes, it, it, it's exactly that. It's that 
there is the ability to say we are doing something, but it's being delayed, it's being deterred, it's being direct in direct contrast of what the community is asking for or demanding. It sounds like the voice of the corporation is being heard pretty well. I'd say so. Charlotte is the used to be the second largest financial district in the U.S., but now we have dropped to the third largest financial district, which is that is not that big of a difference. Like we we've got all the major banks here. There's a lot of there's a lot of money and resources that exist here that you would think that there would also be limited issues at play here as well. But I think we have a number of issues that go that are not being addressed. But what I will say is that our city has developed the Strategic Energy Action Plan, and they've made this commitment to clean renewable energy by, I believe, 2050 is the date. So there, there are these pockets of work that's happening, but it's got to be the investment in it that matches as well. Yeah, when I hear a government person saying by 2050, I'm thinking that's so far off, it's meaningless. Mm-hmm. It's, I guess it's better than saying we're not going to, we don't care whatsoever one bit. But it's, yeah, i glad to hear something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we have a responsibility as community members. Nobody's going to come and save us. Nobody's going to do it for us. We are the closest to the issue which means we're the closest to the solution, which gets back to my point that communities should own their own solutions. And so the people that are in the positions of city council and county commission and our elected officials, they're getting paid and elected to serve the community. I don't think the community can afford any longer to think that we elected the person and it's that their job to do it. I think there is a responsibility that I carry with me and that I think community as a whole should carry that we are to hold them accountable to what we want to see for our community. I think that's a lot of the reason why we've gotten down the path that we're on with some of these industries that have taken over in our communities that we, how do I want to say it? Like the word that comes to mind, I don't know if this is the way that I really want to say it, Josh, is that we lost our, we forgot to pay attention. We forgot to care. And I don't even know if it's a forgot. I don't know if we ever learned. And forgive me if I said this in the first, first part of us talking, but we were taught to, as a whole, as a fabric of America, we were taught to go to school. So we all go to school and we're on this path to graduate high school. My generation, we were pushed down the path of going to college, but other generations may have been pushed down the path of getting a trade, but whatever it is, I'll speak from, from me. The next thing was after you graduate high school, you graduate, you go to school, you go to college. When you graduate college, you get a good job. When you get a good job, after you get this good job, you get a family. Like these are the milestones that make for 
a good life or an American life or the American dream. So as people will say, but I think what was missing was that after you get that good job and you get that family, like there was not nowhere in that trajectory that taught us to be in community. There was no driving force that said the sweet spot that I like to call it from the time you get off to the time you get home, like that sweet spot of time and what you do with that time makes the difference around your engagement and community. It can also happen in your work, but we all get that time from the time we get off to the time we get home. And some people use it to go to a happy hour. Some people use it to go volunteer. But what's happening in that sweet spot of time often is when these decisions are being made that impact our entire community. And we're not all showing up in that space. We're not all either welcomed in that space either. Prior to COVID to and the pandemic and the quarantines, when I think about having gone and attended city council meetings myself, I would bring my son with me, but I wouldn't say it was the most welcoming place that you could bring your whole self into to be a part of that process. People have families and commitments and responsibilities. It took a pandemic to make the city council meetings something that could be experienced in a virtual way in our city. And I think we got to rethink what it looks like for uh, community engagement and creating spaces where it is not just one segment of our community that is represented with their business interests and their political interests, but really taking a look around the room and seeing who's missing. Oh, our families are missing. Our youth are missing from these spaces. And these are the spaces where in a matter of 10 minutes, our elected officials are making decisions to write a check for $300,000 to take care of a fountain for over the next three years. And what could that $300,000 have been applied to that would have actually been around a matter of real sustainable environmental change for folks. So there are resources that I think exist in our community. I think they're, again, back to the gifts and the strengths that exist in our community. But I think there is an error in the way that these things are distributed across our community. You're making me think of, this is a little tangential, but most people describe jury duty as a pain in butt. And I'm not going to say I love it because it's a distract. It takes away from, it comes in at a time when I can't choose when I do it. I can delay it, but it's a wonderful experience. I mean, specific duty in that I spend time doing it, but I can't tell you how much I've learned from it. From what you said, like people generally don't have a choice and therefore you get a great representation of society that I wouldn't meet otherwise. Now, it's funny when it comes to vote. I'm like, how could you possibly vote that way? It was clearly guilty or not guilty, whatever. Someone, like, they look at the evidence completely different than I would, but that's a jury of my peers. Those are my peers. They differ from me. And that's one of my main things in democracy. My goal is not to win. My goal is to recognize that I'm going to disagree with people. People are going to disagree with me. How do we still live together? 
So I, I read what you were talking about as civic engagement and to what extent we involve ourselves with these things. I know that across the street from me, they were going to build a kind of tall building and some people got up in arms and we, I went to a meeting. It was not city hall, but somewhere downtown where I spoke against, it didn't fit with the character, the community and so forth. And then two days ago, I was, I was volunteering and they were talking about a neighborhood near me where the super high office building was going to be built. And no one who lives there wants that office building there. There's going to be some money made off of it, no doubt. New York City is filled with empty office space. The number of empty storefronts right now is crazy. And they're developing this land. It, it makes no sense. And so that's a place where I wish people had gone to say, we don't need this. And you're talking about, if I read you, you're talking about people getting involved in local government more and... I'm reading it. I don't think you're saying we have to do it or actually with government, a lot of people or with the environment, a lot of people say the government, we need the government to act. Only government and corporations can act on the scale that we need. And a lot of times when they say that I hear, I think that they're saying the government has to act and then we'll follow. But in my experience, that's to say the government has to act first is like saying first you have to cross the finish line of a marathon then start. But to me, that's the, you cross the finish line after you've done the whole marathon. Of course, each step is important, but the, the step across the finish line seems like the bigger, the big important step, but every single step was just as important, especially the one across the starting line. And it would be nice if government was out there polling the, well, they do poll the people, but I, really getting to hear people and saying, this is what the people want. Let's do that. I think they're they're more influenced by the people who are going to make the biggest profits. Mm -hmm. And what hours do they work? So I think back to one of my previous jobs and where they started you, it, it was a call center and where you enter into the call center is usually the worst shift of all the shifts that you can work. So I've worked like, the worst one I'm going to give you is like that one to 10 ship is the absolute worst one because it's so late in the day that you can't get anything. You can't get anything started without having to interrupt it. And then it ends so late at night that everything is closed and everything comes to an end. So imagine a whole sector people who are working that one to 10 shift. When do these meetings, like the one that you um, described for the office building that they were trying to build in the neighborhood, like when do these meetings happen? It usually is that like that after that traditional nine to five after work hours. So somewhere around five to seven or when these decisions are being made that impact everybody in the community. And you have a large sector of your population who does not even get an opportunity to participate because they have to take care of their responsibilities of home life and jobs and families and stuff. So I don't, I think we've got to do more to broaden who gets to participate in that process. So it may mean that there are multiple meetings that can happen at a 
breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Or maybe there is engagement process that looks like going to where there's always this, I guess you could say euphemism of people saying, we want to go to where the people are, but no, are you really, are meeting people where they're at? But no, that actually means meeting people where they are at, like going to the call centers and getting their interest and engagement, going to the people who work in the fast food industries that are working around the clock to meet the needs of the communities, going to the hospitals, like all these different spaces that go into the fabric of a thriving, healthy community. It also can't mean that there's just this one opportunity for people to engage and participate in the decisions that are being made that are impacting everybody in the community. So I think it's a both and in in that. So I think government has a duty to create and open up the space for participation and has a duty to teach people how to get involved. Because I think in that story that I was telling you about, where do we learn to learn how to participate in community or as you interpret it to be, what do we learn about our duty to be engaged in our civic duty for being engaged? We didn't learn. That wasn't something that when I graduated high school that I came out knowing, like I came, I, I came to know this through my journey and my pathway of community organizing that now I can tell others, but I'm just one voice. Like I, I can use the skill that I have as a connector, as an organizer, as someone who likes to amplify the good, but we do need, we need the entry point for people to be engaged in that way. You talked earlier about, there's a big message of get a good job, get a good house, things will work out without saying get involved. There's another big message that says voting is the most important thing you can do to be involved with your democracy. Of course, voting is important, but what you're talking about here is a lot of things that are a lot more than just voting. There's running, there's making sure that, me, that there's going to where people are, really going to where people are, not just saying going to where people are, and even just recognizing what are the biases inherent in the system. And so for people who are not in government, doing a lot more than voting, there's the potential to do a lot more. I don't think there's a whole lot of message of do more than just vote. That's absolutely it. Like do more than just vote. And you'd be surprised or maybe you're not surprised, but I think the term that I can't stand is this is an election year. And that used to be very prevalent a few years ago in major media outlets. This is an election year. And they would be talking about the presidential election. But no, every year is an election year and every day is an election based on who we voted into these spaces that are making decisions that are impacting our daily lived experience. And so to your point around do more than just vote, there are more elections than just the presidential election. And then being able to get the understanding At a local level, Hip Hop Caucus has a campaign running through the midterm election of this year that all politics is local. And so how do we do more to explain around what that local engagement looks like? And everybody has to do it for their own community as well, I think. You don't have to answer this if I'm putting you on the spot, but 
Do I hear uh, Nakisha thinking of running for office someday? I swear I get on these podcasts and speaking engagements and, <laughs> and somehow the conversation gets there. I'm open to it. I, I think at this point, I'm the one that is pushing other people to run. I see in other people, you should run for office. Here's the pathway. I definitely see myself as that connector and the amplifier. I think for me, and I got a cousin, <laughs> shout out to my cousin, Ronald. He will call me randomly in the middle of the night. Keisha, you need to run for office. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you. Da, da, da. And then I'm like, okay, I'll do it. But how do I tell him? I tell him, but you got to be my campaign manager or something. Like, I can't do it by myself. I think that's what it is, Josh. I am open, but as a mother, as a single parent, as someone who is working full time and has other things that I'm working on as well, how do I do it in the most effective way possible? So I'll be 40 this year. And I've said that because my 30s have been an interesting ride. <laughs> it's been an interesting ride and it's been very busy. And so I think as I start to look on the horizon of 40, I don't want to run the same way and this is physical, right? I don't want to run the same way that I have been running in my 30s. I have gotten to a point of being exhausted, overwhelmed, and all the different things that come with running so fast and so hard. And how do I set myself up that I can personally be sustained? Because again, nobody's going to come and save me. Nobody, just like nobody's coming to save our community. Nobody's coming to save me. I got to save myself. So I think it's something that I am interested in. I've thought about it from the perspective of county commission, because that holds a lot of the decision-making power of what moves in our county. And I've thought about it from a school board position. But um, am I ready this year? Probably not this year, but maybe down the road. But in the meantime, I hope to be that voice to inspire other people and give and show other people the entry point because I'm right here. Like I see the entry points and the support that you need to get you to run and get other and by you people who look like me never consider it for themselves who are underrepresented, getting them on a pathway and seeing the entry points. Those who do have capacity because I think it's a shared responsibility. So talking about getting energy and how, how one runs, I want to go back to from last time about what the environment means to you. And uh, a lot of what you were saying was talking about quarry in one neighborhood, that, that not in my backyard, in a different neighborhood, and that voice was heard more, concrete factories and the smells. And one of the things I was fishing for was what positive experiences you've had, what nature could be if the voices of communities were heard and they got to choose what they wanted. Presumably, you know your community. So what if it got what you think it deserves? And what would it be? What would it, and what are you drawing from in your past that, to know what nature could be? Pulling from the part of our conversation where I was telling you about the, the smells in certain areas of the community, I can remember 
like our weather broadcast, and this is me being a little girl, like how our weather broadcast would talk about like it's a cold orange air quality day or it's a cold red air quality day and not understanding the connection between those smells that I would smell at a certain time of day or in certain areas of town that I would drive through or in my own neighborhood, like not understanding like that connection between that smell and oh, it's a cold, red air quality day and it's a hot summer day. And now being able to reflect on like how it all works together, I would say one of the things would be there would be no more cold, red and cold, orange air quality days. We would not have neighborhoods that friends and family have like there there's a specific section of town where folks have talked about the number of people on their street that have had cancer and other illnesses and not like the knowledge that I have but it also has these toxic industries over here like to- basically toxic industries wouldn't be our neighbors any longer i think that would be like another way to summarize that question like right now toxic industries and corporations have navigated our system so well and actually benefit from our lack of civic engagement and community-owned solutions to where they can take up space as our neighbors and push community out, whether through eminent domain or whether through the pollution and the health impacts that it causes. Yeah, I think that would be huge to be able to eliminate and eliminate the need for a toxic industries period or challenging toxic industries to change their business practice to something that is sustainable and for the benefit of community. I heard, and I think it was Mark Ruffalo who said it, and this would have been, this was pre-pandemic, so I'm not sure what year it was, but speaking out on the oil and gas industry, if you've got your money in oil and gas, you're going to lose it. And I think the same could be said for toxic industries. If your industry is toxic, and you have your business plan and your money banked in and the harm and the death of community, you're going to lose it. Like it's not sustainable. It might not happen today. It might not happen tomorrow, but it is not a sustainable business practice to continue to harm communities. When you talk about a community as it is now, and you have the polluting toxic industries in there and this uh, an imagined future in which they're not there in which people you're not keeping track of how many people have cancer because there aren't any what would be the emotional experience of one versus the other i mean how would it feel to be in one neighborhood how would it feel to be in another as a mother as an individual i think worry goes away or dissipates how they talk about ignorance is bliss But the more that I've gotten into this work, ignorance, like, is killing us at the same time. Ignorance is killing us. 
And I think it'll be one less burden. And I would hope that it would be a series of burdens that can be lifted from the worry of community or my worry as a mother. When I think about like how I I came to understand climate justice and that definition that I'll go back to is climate is a condition of the land, the air, the water, and the people and understanding the environmental movement and the social justice movement both need each other. And when we talk about it in that way, understanding that being able to have the language to be able to talk about the connection between environmental justice and the way that we get our food, the connection between environmental justice and technology or environmental justice and racial justice and environmental justice and the youth, being able to look at it in that lens means that if we are able to eliminate the threat of the industries that harm us in that way, we're also simultaneously addressing the ways in which these other social justice issues are impacting our community because they are not isolated issues and communities are not experiencing these issues in isolation. When I hear you say a worry would be taken away, a burden would be taken away, then I'm hearing, you didn't say this outright, but I'm hearing it would be a freedom to think about other things, to deal with other things. And ignorance is not the same as freedom. Ignorance, acting out of ignorance is not the same as acting out of knowledge, but not having something to worry about. Mm -hmm. Am I right that it would be a more free situation? And I don't, I'm not talking about, I'm also talking about political freedom, but I'm also just talking about a mental freedom, an emotional freedom. Am I reading you right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely um, subscribe to it being a freedom. I subscribe to the idea of liberation for communities and for communities to be so knowledgeable and so engaged that we don't ever get to the state that we're in today that has allowed it to grow and impact us all in the way that it has by the decisions of just a few. So I think, I'm not sure if I don't have time to do this, but I'm curious what I talked about before we hit record. I, I invite you at your option to think of something to do to act on these different feelings of one way would be worried, one would be not worried. One would be ignorant, the other would be knowledgeable. The other would be burdened. The other would be free. To think of something you could do to act on those things, on those feelings, those emotions. What I'm not saying, and what most people hear is, what's the most important thing you could do? Or what's the most effective or largest, greatest thing you could do? What's the biggest thing? Or what does, what do, what does Greenpeace tell you to do? That's, I'm not saying don't do those things. But this is to act on one's values and one's emotions. Yours in particular, not just anyone's. And with three conditions, if, if you game for it, that is something you do with your own hands, uh, that it's something you're not already doing. And it's something that it itself has a physical component that by your measure, after you're done, you've left the world better, just non-zero. 
And again, it's not organizing others to do something, although you can do it with them. But as long as you have a component where your hands or your actions lead to something that you say, oh, that's better. But it's really to act on your emotions, your feelings, your intrinsic motivations. I'm game. So does anything come to mind? Usually it takes a bit of back and forth because most people are not ready to act on their own thing. Yeah. And I think that's what's challenging is because I'm acting in so many different spaces. And I think I would have to think about it in terms of what is different than what I'm already doing. So when you mentioned like working with my hands, that's not a problem. I can definitely work with my hands. But I think the hardest part of everything that you mentioned and and the physical component, I can do that. Like I can do that. I think the most challenging part will be the what am I not already doing? And for that, I need a little bit more than the time that I think we have at this moment. Maybe I can come up with it on the spot. Let's see if something comes up because almost everyone says that. And then once it clicks then almost always, oh, I've been meaning to do X for a long time. And it usually ends up being something that either takes no time or resources or actually gives time or resources. Is there an area that Um, came to mind right off the bat? Something that would be like something I'm not already doing that I've been wanting to do. Right outside my window here, I have a little small patio area that I've wanted to do a garden of some sort, raised bed garden. And I think for me, like the block is just getting started. And I think about the ability to compost and just getting started with it. So I don't compost today. I see the benefit of composting, but like getting past the block of it all and being able to like bring my, bring my son involved with it and being able to to do that together. So in my mind, like I want to do that and I want to also do it on my front porch as well in some small tangible way. It would doing one of those, if it would take too much time or too much resources, it might not fit. But if it's something you wanted to do already and this were the prompt that got it going, that would fit the bill for the criteria that have developed over time at my end. Want to do one of those? Yeah, I think so. And I think probably the raised bed garden would probably be the start for that. And then I would hope that would spark the next piece of, because of where I say, like, how am I going to work out this composting situation in my particular neighborhood? I don't have a backyard. And so just getting out my own head of, I want to be engaged in certain sustainable practices, but how do I overcome some of the physical limitations that may be where I live or the access or whatnot? Yeah, part that's of kind the, of what comes to mind. Part of the reason that the, the constraints that I put on and how I pose this is I find that these little actions, these things that people think are not that consequential, when it comes from inside, when it's intrinsic, like I don't care big or small. What I care is intrinsic versus extrinsic because if people care about it, if it comes from their own intrinsic motivation, and if it's meaningful, they'll keep doing it. And if they keep doing it, then they share it and it gets bigger. And I have to make a comment that for someone who said, oh, this might take me a while, you're not very convincing because it took you 10 seconds. <laughs> I mean, 
mean, but I, for me, but it can be bigger than that. I guess is what I'm saying. That's just right here. And what, like, more intentional. I think that's also not bigger, more intentional. But this right here is just something that I've had on my heart that I haven't been able to get to exactly. I predict that you're doing this will, if we talk again about how it went, you will say to me that this led to you doing bigger things faster and more effectively than had you tried to start with the big things. That it will lead to you influencing others more than had you tried to influence them without doing this. That's my prediction. And you could, you can tell me otherwise if it works otherwise, but I think that these doing these things. Now, if I said to you, you should compost, I think it wouldn't work the same as if you shared your environment, what the environment means to you. And then you come up with something. Cause I couldn't have guessed that you had a patio. I couldn't have guessed that you ever considered gardening. So if I said, here's 10 little things you can do for the environment, I'd be lucky if one of them happened to coincide with your interest, but even then it wouldn't have, you wouldn't have felt heard and it would have been an imposition. And then if you told others, Oh, you should do this. It would be the same thing. Even if you were in the same community, I think. So I propose the next step is to make it a smart goal which is specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-bound. In this case, if you want to make a raised bed garden, how long would it take? What specifically would you do? Get somebody who's done it before over here to the house to help me. Go buy the materials that, go buy or find the materials, might be able to repurpose materials that already exist to really bring it to fruition. And here's what I can tell you around time bound. So I am looking to, I told you 40, I'll be 40 this year. August of this year is like my goal to have my house re-upgraded. So I've been here and I've just been here. It's never had my own aesthetic, my own sense of really fully making it a home. I've just been living here. And I think this quarantine and this pandemic has given me the room to think about what would make this house a home. And for me, with the help of um, some wonderful friends, thinking through what is it that I want my home to be able to say, I want my home to be able to say that it's, it's fresh, it's organic, and it's Afrofuturistic. And by accomplishing this one piece of the raised garden bed, it will help bring in that element of being fresh and organic into my home and the place where I will want to experience life. I'm hearing something touching here because this is, I'm hearing community activity of what you were talking about earlier. It's not civic engagement in terms of going to board meeting or not county or council meetings, but it is a public display of community values. This is what I'm hearing. And it makes me very curious to hear how it goes. How long do you think, if we, would you be willing to come back and share how it's gone? And if so, how long do you think it'll be before, if I ask you, how's it going, that you can say how it's going? I would say that... It's going to be done by my birthday. Oh. <laughs> That's the commitment that I've made to myself. And then how's it going? I hope to by May be able to better be able to tell you how is it going, how close I am to it. But by August, 
it's gonna be done one way or the other i plan to be done by august I'm thinking the August is like the vegetables are going to be growing. I, I assume vegetable garden, but it could be flowers and it could be aesthetic. But would you be willing to come back in May and share how it's going? May sounds good. May or June, I would okay. be willing. All right. Then I propose picking up here where we next time where we left off and hearing how the raised bed gardens are going by then. I think we'll be the sprouts will be coming out and we'll be seeing plants. The neighbors will be commenting, stuff like that. That sounds good. Okay, then before wrapping up this time, is there anything I didn't think to ask or anything that came up worth to cover before we close? I think we got it all in for the most part. I think I found a way to say most of what I want to say, but I would like to just um, acknowledge some upcoming activities for Hip Hop Caucus, which include our Coolest Show podcast. It's coming back for a fourth season. New episodes will run in March. And then in April, you can find our summit, our We Shall Breathe summit will be airing again this year. Dates to come on the summit, but thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you again. Nikisha Glover, thank you very much. You're welcome. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, There's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.